0: It's very good to be back with you and to see you again. I'm so thankful to Tom and Matt for inviting me to share the word with you. And it's a delight to have so many of your staff that have been students with me at Knox. It's just a joy to see how they are blessing a congregation and to see how they're growing in grace. It's a joy to be with you this morning. My text is... From John, the Gospel. It's from chapter 19. I'm focusing on the words, it is finished. But I want to read the context for you. John chapter 19, beginning in verse 28. And the evangelist writes, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, and that's the word, said, In order to finish. All scripture, it's the same word. Translated here, fulfill. I thirst. Now he does that before he dies. There is one scripture, just one, that has been left undone. That is the prophecy from Psalm 69, verse 21. They gave me vinegar to drink. That is the only scripture not yet fulfilled. And so Jesus says this, I thirst, in order to prompt the fulfillment of that last scripture, the last checkoff. All the scriptures are now fulfilled, John is telling us. And so a jar full of sour wine or vinegar stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. Now when Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he uh, lay his head, actually would be better. He laid his head and gave up his spirit. The evangelists tell us that Jesus himself said, speaking of the poverty of his ministry, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has not. Where to lay his head and the evangelist uses the same language now jesus the son of man has somewhere to lay his head now at the end he lays his head the son of man lays his head in death his work is done and he finds rest at last in the fulfillment of all that god had intended for him Let's begin with a word of prayer, if we may. Our gracious Father, we thank you for Jesus, for the Son of glory, for our Savior, who has accomplished all things on our behalf, who has redeemed our life from death, and has set before us an everlasting hope. We thank you for him, for his work, for his words of comfort to us. We thank you that he has accomplished all our redemption And he can say in truth, it is finished. And we can rest our heads in his finished work on our behalf. Be with us this morning. I would ask through your spirit that you would encourage the hearts of those who have come to consider that Christ has redeemed all of our lives from death and the grave. Amen. It is finished. Three words. In the English translations that you have, one word in the Greek, to tetelestai. That's what the evangelists say. That was the last word he says before he commits his spirit to the Father. Tetelestai, it is finished. One word, probably he spoke that in Aramaic, which is related to the native Hebrew. Very likely the last word that Jesus utters here is the word kulah, One word also in Hebrew. Kula, it is finished, it is done. It's a word of accomplishment. It's actually a word of triumph, which is interesting, isn't it? The word means it is finished, or it can mean it is fulfilled. A word of prophecy is fulfilled, it is done, it is accomplished, finished. And it can mean accomplished as well, speaking of some goal to which we have received Finally, we have come to the end, and it is done. All of those meanings are included in this one word, kula, that Jesus speaks from the cross. It is the characteristic of man, of us, that because of death, we leave our work unfinished. It's part of the natural order of things, part of the vanity of life, as Solomon would have sung it. That our lives, because of death, interrupt the work that we intend. They break the dreams, destroy the visions. We leave our labors undone. There are unfinished symphonies. You can think of Schubert's symphony. There are unfinished paintings. That beautiful portrait of George Washington that seems cloudy at the bottom. Actually, it's an unfinished work. The war, the Revolutionary War intervened, and Gilbert um, Stuart was unable to finish the work. There was that portrait of Franklin Roosevelt. Elizabeth Shumatoff was working on that, and Roosevelt died. And so the work, although it's, the face is complete, the work itself is undone. There are many great books, a number of which themselves are unfinished. Matthew Henry's great commentary, many of you will know that. It was a favorite of our forefathers. He undertook, Matthew Henry did, to write a commentary on all the books of the Bible. And so he finished the Old Testament, finished the evangelists, but when he came to the book of Acts, the Lord called him home. And so it was up to his students to gather what fragments they could from his sermons and from his writings to finish the work that he left untended Thomas Aquinas, the great theologian, was going to write the Summa Theologica, the summation of all theology, but Thomas died before his work was finished. There are works that we leave unfinished, even those that we undertake. Da Vinci, in his beautiful Last Supper, when it was done, they were celebrating how beautiful it was, and he said, I could have gone on perfecting it for the rest of my life. Labors that we do. What is it that you finally feel is perfectly finished that you could not continually improve? It's the nature of life. There are unrequited love affairs, unfinished enterprises, uncompleted dreams, and disappointed visions all over this room. It's part of the human condition. Who among us, who among you, if, if you were to die today, unexpectedly, would not think that your work was largely undone. There are yet schools that you want to attend, qualifications, credentials you want to attain. There, are, there is perhaps a love you want to consummate. There, is, there are children that you want to raise. You want to see growing in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's business enterprises you want to finish. The plans, all of the plans that you have, if you were to die today, we would feel were left unfinished. That is part of the nature of man, isn't it? But it is not so with God. One of the pastors I knew many years ago was Joel Gregory. He made, I thought it was such a beautiful comment when he said, it is never so with God that his works are left unfinished. No one ever saw his work and said it's undone. How many of you have ever gazed at half a star or seen half a mountain? You'll never see half a sunrise or look at half a horizon. It's always done. That's the nature of God's work. It is complete. It is finished. And that's true of Jesus, too, because, you see, he is man, but he is also God. And so of all men, his work Because of his divinity, his work must be finished. It must be done. He must finish his course before death could touch him. All through his ministry, as you read the Gospels, there is an urgency about his work. He is driven to accomplish everything that is recorded that he must do. You see that even when he's 12 years old and he speaks to his parents who have lost him and they find him in the temple. He said, didn't you know I I had to be about my father's business? There were certain things that he had to do to accomplish all of the good purposes that God had intended for him. And that was true throughout his life. In this gospel, you will see there there were often times when they wanted to kill Jesus, but John will say, but his hour had not yet come. It's like a clock chiming. His hour had not yet come, John will say three times. His hour had not yet come. And so they're unable to lay hands upon him until his labors are done. His hour had not yet come. Only when you come to chapter 13, after his triumphal entry, does Jesus know, as John tells us, that the hour had come. That clock had chimed and his work was now coming to completion. Jesus was born in order that the word of the prophets might be fulfilled or finished. All the purposes of God and the prophecies of God that were intending toward his birth were finished, they were accomplished, they were done in his birth. When he was baptized, he told John, who resisted baptizing him because he was more righteous than he, he said, "'Suffer it to be so now,' Jesus said." that we might fulfill, that we might finish, that we might complete all righteousness. There were types and shadows that he was accomplishing in his baptism. His first sermon was to fulfill the words of the prophet Isaiah. His teaching ministry was to fulfill all that the Psalms had prophesied about him, so that he could speak to the people in parables. The Psalms had said that the Messiah would come. He would speak to the people in parables, and thus he did that the word might be finished. The psalmist said that he would send forth his word of healing. And so the centurion comes to him in Capernaum and says, my servant is at the point of death. You don't need to come to my house, but send forth your word. And Jesus says, I haven't seen such faith even in Israel. And the word goes forth from Jesus and that servant is healed. That the word of God and the psalms might be finished. That the words might be complete his triumphal entry was to fulfill the prophecies of Zechariah. His arrest was to fulfill all that had been foretold by Jeremiah. His death was to satisfy, that is to finish, to fulfill all the justice of God on man's behalf. You know, we're told I've read this in many places. You've all heard this, that there were 350 prophecies of Christ in the Old Testament. Others will tell you there were 400, 500, 600. I've heard all of those numbers named. I will tell you there are thousands upon thousands of prophecies that Jesus finished before he died. Every word, every jot, every tittle of this Bible was completed by him. Every requirement that God has of man, of, of obedience, he perfectly satisfied before he died. Every debt, every crime, every sin that we have committed, he perfectly finished. Paid the price for, satisfied that debt before he could utter those words, it is finished. Every prophecy And every pattern of redemption was perfectly done. The evangelists say it again and again. All this happened that it might be fulfilled. It was spoken by the word of the prophets. It might be finished. That it might be done. All the life of Jesus was directed to that one goal set before him. That was to finish, to fulfill all that was written about him in the law, in the prophets, and in the Psalms before his death. And nothing could stop him. Before that work was done, every law and ordinance and commandment of God at Sinai was satisfied in Jesus' obedience in his life. Every type and symbol of the prophets was his last fulfilled by him in his death. All that was written in the Psalms concerning him was finished. And so he cried from the cross, it is finished. Kula, it is done. His accusers, the Romans, the Jews, heard that word gladly, thinking they were done with him. This messianic imposture was dead. He was cursed of God himself. Wasn't he hung upon a tree according to the law? He had become a curse. Isn't that true? Surely the Messiah of God could not be a curse, could he? The Romans thought this rabble rouser this insurrectionist he's done we're done with him we're finished there's no more to be heard of him there's no more to be heard of his messianic claims it's over it's done but in those words it is finished there was an entirely new world beginning new world unimagined unforeseen kula it is finished That word, spoken before the earth itself was to quake, kula, it is done, before the heavens grew dark and the earth quaked, that word would resonate all the way to the grave, to Sheol. And all the righteous dead that had been fulfilled, whose work had been finished, heard that cry. And how would they have responded to that cry? All of heaven was in triumph, all of the grave. Adam heard it. There's no doubt that Adam heard it, and he would have said to you his work had been left unfinished by the sin of our first parents in partaking of that tree of disobedience. God had commanded Adam, don't you remember? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and rule over the beast. But Adam in his sin was able only to bring forth children of death. That does not satisfy the good decree of God, that all the world would be finished, filled with his image. And Adam, who was to rule over the beast, was himself ruled over by the serpent. The serpent triumphed over him and ate the dust of his own corruption. So Adam's work was left undone. But when Adam heard the word kula, he knew that the greater Adam, a new Adam, had come. And his work would finish all that was required of Adam. Because that word made possible the day of resurrection, when Jesus will fill the world, the entire world, with sons and daughters in the image of God. And in bringing forth the righteous dead from the dust of their death, he will break the power of Satan and sin. Oh death, where is thy sting? The viperous death of sin is done, and Jesus will finish the work that had been commanded of Adam, which he left undone by his death. Noah would have heard that same word. What would he say? Noah and his faith, his great faith had delivered his house safely from the world that was, the old heavens and earth. To this present heavens and earth in which we find ourselves. Noah's faith had brought his family safely into this present heavens and earth, but his sin, his drunkenness, which brought forth his curse upon his own seed, had reinitiated the cycle of death in this present heavens and earth. But when Jesus says, Kula, he is anticipating a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And Jesus, as a greater Noah, will take us to that new heavens and new earth. And with him there is no sin. Sin will be over and done. Jesus will finish the work of Noah that his own sin had left undone. Moses, Moses would have heard that cry. What did Kula mean to Moses? Moses. That great hero of the faith, he strides over the Old Testament like a colossus. He brought God's people out of brick pits of Pharaoh, delivered them from bondage, and was setting them upon the course to bring them into the inheritance of God in a good and pleasant land flowing with milk and honey. But in the wilderness, Moses' own sin, by the waters of strife, brought upon him the judgment of God, you shall not cross that river Jordan. You shall not bring the people into their good inheritance. And so Moses, with that generation of wickedness, perished in the wilderness. He had brought the people nobly and heroically out of bondage, but he could not finish his work. He could not bring them into the good and pleasant land that would remain for Joshua to finish the work of Moses. Aaron, the great high priest of Israel, he would have heard that kulah and recognized. That puts an end to sacrifice. Aaron was a noble high priest, but he must make atonement for his own sin before. He is able to make sin sacrifice for the people, and that continually, one sacrifice after the other in an eternal pattern of death. But when Jesus says Kulah, that's the lamb that is sacrificed once and for all time. And the sacrifices of Aaron cease forever. Christ's work is done. He has finished the work that Aaron left uncomplete. David, the great hero, king, the champion against Goliath. David had a mind and a heart after God's own heart. He composed psalm after psalm after psalm. Half the psalms that we have are ascribed to David. Some of them he wrote that are not ascribed. That book expresses the heart of David, the king. His harp, remember, would scatter the enemy, scatter the spirits of darkness away from Saul. He set all of the Levites in courses. He established the pattern of worship in Israel. His heart's desire was to build a temple where these songs could be sung, where God could be celebrated in Jerusalem. But God told him, No, David, it is not for you to build that temple. Your hands are bloodied. It will take a son of David to raise the true temple, although his hands too will be full of blood. But he will be the true Solomon. He will raise the temple as a man of peace. So David hears that great word of God that he cannot fulfill the temple promises of Israel. And so his work is left undone. But a son of David would come who would build a temple which would fill all of the cosmic order. And God would dwell together with man forever. Solomon. Solomon would have heard it too. Kulah, what does that mean to Solomon? One has come who is greater than Solomon with a wisdom that far surpasses Solomon. Solomon looked at all of this world and its cycles of death and its seasons, endless cycles, a generation is born, a generation dies, and all of our work is in vain. And Solomon, all he could do with all that wisdom is to lament the condition of man. All of our work is emptiness and vanity. There is nothing new under the sun, he said. But Jesus comes and says what? Behold, I make all things new. A greater wisdom, one who can deliver us from the cycles of vanity and death, and establish righteousness forever in an eternal temple dedicated to the glory of God. All the prophets of Israel, every one of them lined them up. The major prophets, the minor prophets, all of them would hear that word kulah. And what does that mean? Not one word, they would say. Not one word that we have written, not one word of all God has said has returned unto us Void. For he has sealed up all vision and prophecy. What does this word, "kula" mean to you when you hear it? How has he redeemed your work, too? The work that perhaps by death you must leave undone. Some of you will die wondering who will raise my children? Who will care for my widow or my widower, husband? Who will finish the labors that I've undertaken? Who will do all of that work? The answer is Jesus said it is done. His good providence, his kindness, his grace. When we come to that point of death, our work is unfinished, but he has supplied everything we need to make our work complete. His providence will take care of our children. His providence will take care of those we leave behind. His good purposes will accomplish everything that we intend because he is our Redeemer. Jesus is the one who loves us. He has finished all the labors that we intend. He will fulfill every dream that God has given to us. He will accomplish everything that we intended and purposed in the good favor of God. That is who our Lord is. He is a Redeemer law He has taken all of your sin, and all of our condemnation, all of us who have trusted in Him, every sin that can be justly charged against you has been taken away from you and nailed to his cross if you have cried out to him for mercy. Every sin has been taken away, and it is fully paid. That word means it's paid, it's done, it's over every sin. What about the righteousness that God requires of us? Not just the sin that we do to violate his holiness and dare his wrath, but what about the the righteous deeds that he has required of us that we have left undone? Jesus not only takes our sin away from us and suffers our punishment in our place upon that cross, but in exchange for our wickedness, He gives us his perfect obedience. He gives us his righteousness. Our claim to stand before the holiness of God himself is not our own righteousness, but Christ's righteousness. We stand in his perfect righteousness so that God can say over us, just like he said over Jesus, this is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Our sin is gone. He's cast it aside and away. As far as the east is from the west, it is remembered against us no more. And Christ's perfect righteousness has been bestowed upon us so that the Father looks upon us with favor and receives us into his heavenly promises what a hope that's given to us, all because of the work that Jesus has done. Every promise that, that he has intended toward us is sealed up in those words, it is finished, it is done. He's taken all of our sins and condemnation, and laid nailed it to his tree. He says over your sin, it is finished. Do you hear that? What a full and final release from all the condemnation of the law, the shame. The guilt, all of it is done. And we are free. It is finished. It's over. Jesus has kept all the laws just demands upon us perfectly. And he offers you a borrowed righteousness, saying over you, it is done. The debt is paid. Everything that God intended to accomplish in your life, I will make it done i will finish it so that every one of us who have trusted in him will be triumphant in that day having accomplished everything that god intended for us perfectly because of him he will sanctify you fully not just your redemption not just merely your justification, as wonderful as that is, but your sanctification too is accomplished in that word kula, it is done. He will sanctify you fully, even as Paul said, for he who has begun a good work in you will finish it unto the day of Jesus Christ, for he is the author and finisher of our faith. Blessed be his saving name forever.